Here we go. Screen Heat Miami. We're ready. Here we are. In the middle of the pandemic. Middle still, of the pandemic. Still in Oof. the middle. I can't believe it. Remember back when it was uh, two weeks to bend the curve back way back in March? Felt like a lifetime ago. That we started talking about it in January when it yeah. started in, yeah. in China. China, then Europe. You know, we have a lot of partners through the conference as well in, in parts of China as well as in Europe. And kind of see that wave slowly keep creeping westward until finally, finally it hit us. Yeah. So couple of good things. Yes, we have I like to talk about the good things. Two vaccines. First of all, two oh, vaccines. Two vaccines, but let's talk about our names first before we our get to the guests, vaccines. We have a special twofer <laughs> once again. Yes. A special screen heat twofer. Uh, a recurring guest, which is an amazingly talented producer, Shona Tuckman, based here in South Florida, who has just produced a feature film dropping exclusively on Amazon called Dr. Bird's Advice for Sad Poets, based on the, the YA novel of the same name, along with the director, Yaniv Raz, who is an amazingly talented director, also from South Florida, raised Boca here originally. Born in, yeah, Israel came over here when he was just a tiny tot. Uh, but raised up in Boca. So two Florida products creating this really hip Wes Anderson style indie film. We'll let them explain when you guys get, we we'll get to the interview, but it was such a fun time interviewing Yaniv and Shona once again. It was great to have Shona back. And in our first interview with her, she spoke about the film. She dropped she a lot and, of, yeah. a lot of big, big revelations, including how they worked with that imaginary bird from well, Jim it's not imaginary. company. Well, it's not it's imaginary. An- That's right. It's imaginary <laughs> in the movie, but it really is an animatronic bird. Yeah. So. Yeah. Which, which I'm telling you, and I, 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 that could be great merchandising for them. So that could be the <laughs> you new did baby mention Yoda's that. Thing. That's right. Uh, your own talking, imagine your own talking therapy pigeon, Dr. Bird. And he's just kind of sitting next to you all day. So when you're kind of like freaking out and they like, just turn, talk to your, your Dr. Pigeon. The Dr. Bird. <laughs> That's right. Can't wait to see that movie. And yeah. it's going to be really fun. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and again, it's great to see local filmmakers and producers doing so well out there uh, and taking advantage of the ever escalating streaming wars here on the one and only Screen Heat Miami. And, and before we go any further, obviously, we always got to introduce ourselves. I'm your co-host, JL Martinez, along with Kevin Sharpley. And as each and every week, we are brought to you by Kijik, Kijik Multimedia. Chemical, the Miami Media and Film Market, and Cinevision. Yes. So, speaking of pandemic news, pandemic special, just yeah. like the South Park one. What I, I was saying two virus, two virus vaccines. So we have Pfizer, and we have Moderna. So both of them are in the running, and that's really great. You know, when you have the situation where people are trying the whole world is trying to find a solution to this to this problem so with both of those announced over the past few days it has changed the calculus of the industry now i like to play the stock market and um, a lot of my stocks went up related to forecasting what's going to happen in the future one stock that I did pick up was AMC. AMC mm-hmm. had been nosediving 
nose diving with no pull up in sight. Right. So I picked up some AMC stock and it took off. Not because I picked it up, but it, it, it really took off. And the forecasters were saying that's an anticipation of people flocking right. back to the theaters. And I think that they will. It's one of the least expensive experiences that a family can have now together. And it also, you can't replicate that feeling of being in the theater with other people and sharing the energy that's going on when you're watching in the big, on the big screen. So I, right. I, this is my prediction. I'm 95% sure that AMC is going to be okay when, oh, wow. when this is all said and done. So, yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, I, I really don't want to see an end to our traditional theatrical experience. Uh, you know, we're definitely on the brink now uh, because, again, because of the pandemic, the need for social distancing and public health and safety, as well as the rise in streaming content. It's just been a perfect recipe, unfortunately, for the demise of our beloved cinemas. But I, I really hope that there will be a great comeback, as Hollywood loves to tell in 2021 for companies like AMC and also some of the art house cinemas that have been struggling. I really hope that they make a solid comeback as well so that we can continue to enjoy the, uh, the, the magic of, of cinema in a group setting. Yeah. I think that it's going to be, you know, and we're going to talk about this in just a minute, but technology has changed and also the pandemic has forced uh, companies to think about, their business models in different ways. So I'm quite sure that AMC is going to think about the theater experience in a different way and be right. bigger, better, and stronger for it. But bigger, better, and stronger is not what's happening in a $150 million lawsuit by one of the biggest agencies in the country, I guess you would say one of the biggest agencies in the world, UTA. Absolutely. They are not so happy. They've lost no. a lot of business and they right. are uh, making a lawsuit against their yeah. insurance well, company. Yeah, because they, they thought that with their uh, policy that they, they almost had a silver bullet which would cover this $150 million of profit losses, which is what they're estimating during the pandemic, and that their insurance company basically should have covered this very instance of, uh, uh, of this sort of global pandemic. Uh, however, obviously, this insurance company has pulled back and saying that no, pandemic wasn't covered under your policy. They're saying, no, 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 yes, it was. You know, one thing that agencies, especially big ones like UTA have, is reams of lawyers ready to sift through every minutia of a contract and a policy. And if they are owed money, I'm sure they'll, they, as good agents do, as our good RE friends do out in LA and Beverly Hills, they'll find a way to get it. Yeah. I mean, you are on that side. So you know how yeah. they hustle to find a solution. So we'll see. Oh, absolutely. Happens. Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely see. I was actually, I was just telling you uh, before we started, I was just out in LA in February and I, I visited colleagues both at UTA and at Live Nation, which is right across the parking lot in Beverly Hills. And, you know, who would have known then? Like I said, we did start to talk about it. By February, we kind of had an inkling something was coming. But, you know, again, back then the big mantra was two weeks to bend the curve. So everybody thought, okay, we'll go into a bunker in March. By mid-April, latest May, we'll be back up and running again. 
And here we are. Position, And then yeah. obviously, speaking of UTA, Craig Bernstein, who was uh, one of the senior motion picture production agencies at UTA. And now he's actually, you know, and we didn't put this in the notes, but he's actually going to be heading up his own department at a new That's agency. Right. The yeah. former Abrams Artists, which is now just called A3. And uh, he's going to be starting a new venture at what we call one of the mid-tier agencies in LA. So Congrats to Craig Bernstein. If you're listening, my friend, always doing great work. He was on one of our podcasts, talked about, speaking of the holidays, his start in the business was working uh, on the original Home Alone movie back in yeah. Chicago. So go back and listen to his his podcast. I think that's like the fifth one. Absolutely. And, um, you know, catch up to speed, catch up to us. Um, we have another story related to the pandemic. Fortune magazine, they reported the story about how technology has evolved. And we mm-hmm. talked about that at the top of the key. And yes. their story is how the pandemic has expedited innovation within the film industry. Absolutely. And specifically, they're talking about one particular company and project, which is Lucasfilm's Industrial Light and Magic, uh, which for those who don't know, is probably the top, not one of the top uh, CGI companies in the world that do all the movie magic behind the scenes ever since the Star Wars days. And they created a a new technology. I believe it was for The Mandalorian, which is currently streaming season two on Disney Plus. Great show, by the way. And they created a a new technology called Stagecraft, which essentially is an LED soundstage that can bring whole environments into the actor's world so that everything is virtual and digital, but you can actually see it. You can see it in the camera. The actors can interact more and it's hyper-realistic. And they're saying it's totally going to change the production game from, from this point on. Yeah. It's truly amazing. Um, Listeners, you can just look up the Mandalorian and uh, the technology using the Mandalorian. And one of those videos will come up Uh, and maybe even type in John Favreau, who is the creator and executive producer and one of the directors of, of the Mandalorian. And it really is amazing. Speaking on someone who, you know, experiences in front of the camera and behind the camera, um, you know, to be able to be immersed in the environment as an actor and instead of a green screen and, you know, be able to see the environment really does elicit um, greater performances because you can see what's actually going on for producers and directors, you can actually change the environment on the fly. So if it's not fitting what your vision is, you can move that environment around. And from what I understand, it really only takes 24 hours to upload the new environments. So, you know, if you have a cadre of different environments, you can really, you know, shoot whatever you want. And, 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 and make it feel like whatever you want. It's, it's, it's really amazing. So no, I'm, it really, I'm excited it's about super. This. Yeah. I love the idea of just kind of virtually changing, you know, cause they're doing a lot of things, especially all this technology is being used even more now because of the pandemic. You have, you can use smaller crews, you can create more social distancing on, you don't have to travel to as many locations as before. So all those things from a safety perspective, as the industry starts to churn back into the production world are going to be super helpful. And so I'm, I'm very excited to see where this technology goes and how the industry kind of, you know, moves more into that space, not only for these sort of epic sci-fi sagas like Star Wars and The Mandalorian, but, you know, for period dramas, for even for comedies, maybe even for, for mainstream sitcoms, you know, all of that can actually benefit from this technology in the long run. Yeah, everything can. 
And I wonder, I wonder if um, our good, good uh, friend Conan O'Brien, who is ending his talk show. Mm. Yeah. At number I'm, 10 for TBS, but he's been in the talk show Malou for 28 years. 28 um, years. Yeah. Now, what he's going to do is a variety show now for HBO. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's still super busy because he has the podcast. He has right. another show that's a travel show. And so now he's going to have this variety show. And I'm wondering how he's going to pull off that variety show. Well, he's, you know, doing all these other things. Maybe he's going to have right. to use some of that technology. He might have to use some of that stagecraft. I don't know. He might have to put on some wigs and play multiple characters. Who knows? Uh, but Conan's a talented guy, so I'm sure he'll figure it out. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it's kind of, for him, I, I'm sure it's, it's, it's also an evolution into right. the next phase of what he's doing. I right. mean, he was a writer for The Simpsons, and he wrote some of their biggest episodes, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, and he comes from from Harvard, which, you know, a lot of people don't know that the Harvard Lampoon, which is like, I guess their satirical magazine, so many comedy writers, great comedy writers and talent in, in show business come out of that school and out of that particular organization within Harvard, uh, him being one of them. And so if, if you look up the history of the Harvard Lampoon and how many great artists like Conan, SNL writers, Simpsons writers have all kind of come out of that little college uh, paper. It's really fascinating. But yeah, it's interesting to see where Conan takes his universe now that he's also getting into the streaming game with this HBO Max deal and his variety show. Yeah, HBO Max is going a lot of different places, <laughs> a lot of Absolutely. places. I want to see, you know, in a few months uh, where it's going to go. But actually, AT&T stock, I have AT&T as well. Um, their stock has been pretty steady over the past, you know, few weeks up to you know months or so so i guess i should hope so because my cable bill is sky high (laughs) yeah yours and yours and mine both so hopefully i just switched actually to att tv and that you know so i I officially cut the cord but they sucked me right back in with this internet tv package so it's 601 half a dozen but it's a little cheaper at least with the promotion i'll have to check that out um i just write it off on my on my taxes but hey, I, I can't write the off the biz. same amount anymore. They changed the tax code. That's another story, but I'm not going to get into that because I want to get into this yeah. story. Our guest. Yes. And uh, th- this for me was one of our favorite interviews. Um, it was great. You know, because it encapsulates everything, you know, producing, yeah. directing. And Yaniv was an actor as well. So, yeah. you know, he's multi-hyphenated. So, you know, acting in front of the camera, behind the camera. It really encapsulated everything. Absolutely, yeah. So here is uh, Shona Tuckman and Yaniv Raz, the producers and filmmakers behind the upcoming Dr. Bird's Advice for Sad Poets on Amazon. Just to sort of recap a little bit about the Florida connection, because I know that's an, an sort of important angle also for you guys. Um, obviously, Yaniv grew up in Boca, and, and he can tell you a bit more about that. But also, obviously, you guys know I live here. And then um, my producing partner, Josh, also is from oh, South yeah. Florida. So, like, we're kind of like this weird little Florida team um, that are none of us are from Florida necessarily. But, um, Yaniv, were you born in Florida? No, you were born in... No, I was born in Israel. Uh, That's right. But my parents moved to Florida when I was two. Oh, right. So I, I, I grew native. up in, 
Right. right. Yeah, I mean, it was the eight, it was the early eight, it was the late seventies when I got here, when I got to Florida. So, wow. you know, it was there was no, there was no real Boca Raton. <laughs> there was the Boca, the Boca Hotel and Club, but I think like the town center mall was just being built when I, oh. when, when we when I got here. Yeah. 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 yeah that, but that's it was, a, that's kind of our our little uh, our little team of. Um, you know, Floridian uh, connections, if, if it's important to you guys to mention it. You already mentioned it. We've been recording, so it's going. We, everybody knows already. But yes, no, that, that is a staple of screen heat is the Florida connect. We always look for the Florida connection and everyone. Yeah. This this was an easy one. There are more challenging ones out there, but this was this yeah. is fairly straightforward. So I like it. Okay, yeah. good. But, um, All right. So, so we've already started. I say, yeah, I mean, obviously, look, Shona, we know you, you've been on the show before, um, you know, very talented producer. We had such a great conversation uh, about your work and, and obviously the film that we want to talk about today. Uh, and but yeah, I'd love to start maybe the conversation with Yaniv. You know, we already talked a little bit about your journey from Israel to Boca uh, when you were very young. Uh, but, you know, sort of when did that sort of passion for filmmaking, when did you kind of get that first inkling that this was something you may want to produce, pursue, if not artistically professional? Unfortunately, unfortunately, at a very young age. <laughs> um, I was actually a, a, a child actor, which I don't usually talk about. And uh, growing up, I, I was in like Jan McCark's theater in Boca Raton as a kid. And then I, I did... Uh, um, summer stock in New York and, uh, you know, did some TV later in my life, did some TV and, and commercials and some films as well. I was in a Woody Allen movie. Um, but, um, I, uh, you know, I had the, th uh, the Shadowwood theater growing up in Boca next to me. Um, and I, they played, it was such a nice time. This was in the eighties, uh, uh, nine and nineties. Um, they played half commercial films and half indie films and foreign films at the time. I think it was a 12 theater or 16 uh, screen theater. And half of them were indie films and foreign and half of them were big blockbusters. And I was drawn probably because of my father's predilections, uh, drawn to the artsy indie films. And sometimes I would just spend days like in Shadowwood. I would, you know, Sorry, Shadowwood. I would go in in the morning and not leave until the evening. <laughs> um, and going from screen to screen, and I saw just these beautiful, beautiful uh, French films like The Hairdresser's Husband by Patrice Leconte, and uh, I was very taken by them. And, you know, while I had grown up as an actor, I knew that that wasn't something that I basically wanted to you know, create what, what I was seeing on screen um, and dictate <laughs> to some degree what the outcome would be, which I later realized, even as the writer and director, you're, you're, you're still at the whim of, of so many other people. But um, so, so it was at a very early age. I think I was, I was probably like 12 or 13 years old when I realized, yes, I'm an actor and I can still do this, but I, I, I much prefer to write and direct. And um, so uh, when I was 17, uh, you know, I applied to go to NYU Film School um, and uh, got in and that's where I went and, <laughs> and then left a year and oh, a half wow. later. <laughs> um, but um, because it, it just wasn't for me. And then I went and transferred to another, to Vassar, where I got a, a more grounded sort of liberal arts education. Um, uh, which well, I think my, my question is where... 
And just because you mentioned your buyer, where in that time span did you do that great musical Gap commercial? Oh my God, that was years later. I was in my early 20s. I had first gotten to LA. And strangely enough, this is a really crazy connection. So the guy who directed that Gap commercial, it was a series of dancing Gap commercials. Uh, there was like khakis and jeans. And the guy who directed it was Mike Mills, who directed um, Beginners, which is one of my favorite movies, and also 20th Century Woman, which was Lucas, Lucas, the star of our movies, uh, big premiere. He played Mike Mills as a kid. Wow. Um, and so there's a weird connection there. And I, I, I had known, uh, after I was in that commercial, I kind of knew Mike through the producer of those commercials. Um, the way that Lucas came to us was, had nothing to do with that in any way. And I hadn't actually even seen 20th Century Woman yet. Um, wow. But um, yeah, it was in my early 20s. And that was, that was it. I had done a couple commercials and a couple TV shows. And I was like, I'm, do I'm done acting. <laughs> I need to go. do what I'm supposed to be doing in life. <laughs> well, I, I have um, more of a, a technical question. And I want to ask yeah. it now. Usually I would, I would wait until I finish, but I might forget. Because I started in front of the camera as well. Oh, did you? So Yeah. And, and, you know, I still every so often, you know, jump in yeah. the front. But yeah. um, did that starting in front of the camera help you at all in terms of directing actors and understanding where actors are coming from? I, I mean, for me and in having had the experience that I've had and I, I, Kevin, I assume that you probably feel similarly. Um, I think it's invaluable. I mean, I think that there there are tons of directors in Hollywood and and elsewhere who don't know what it is to act, don't know what it is to access those emotions, and really just know how to place a camera and and you know create aesthetically interesting uh, visuals. Uh, you know, sometimes that, that can work out very well, but I think that if you're trying to do something that is emotionally moving unless you're working with the greatest actors on earth uh, who, who you don't really need to direct. I mean, I, th I think it's invaluable to be able to help actors feel safe enough to get to where they need to go and, and to come, you know, up or down and so on and so forth. And I, and, you know, I think most eventual, uh, eventually most film directors who are veterans get there probably through having that experience. But I think, you know, and, and I would never speak in broad generalizations, but I think, on the whole, it, it gives you deep insight on how to, you know, if, you, if you've had to have gone to those places and you need to feel safe and access those emotions, I think, you know, that there's a certain empathy that you have for your, for your fellow creators that you, can, that you can help in some ways get them, get them there. So uh, I assume you've had, you know, similar experience, but. Yeah, absolutely. Always, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what I feel is that, you know, when you cast the actors, you're casting them because you feel that they can flesh out that role. And you're there's a trust that's there with the actor. And so it's a journey that you kind of walk together and the director is there to help to guide a bit. You know, they flesh out the characters and you trust them to flesh out their characters in a way where, you know, they can populate the movie and the director is help, there to help guide them and, you know, the other actors towards the performance, the unified performance. That's just been my, yeah. my personal experience. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. 
So that's great. Okay, we started yeah. already off with a with a home run. Let's keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> One thing we didn't do is we didn't do proper introductions. So JL, yeah. can you honor yeah, we, us with we those? We usually wait about halfway through. It's kind of yeah. like yeah, we like <laughs> <laughs> it's a tongue in cheek thing. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, obviously, look, we have uh, an amazing producer, Shona Tuckman, with us, uh, who's again been on the show before, an amazingly talented uh, producer and filmmaker, and just you know part of our community, as we mentioned already, doing some really big things. So you know, we're excited to talk about her upcoming. Amazon film, uh, who was directed by Yaniv Raz, who is uh, a very talented director. Also, we're learning today. Uh, I, I guess you could say a Florida. You've been here since you're two. I'll say you're a Florida native. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I, two, <laughs> two to seventeen, and my parents are still are still in Delray. So absolutely. So um, yeah, yeah, two very talented Floridians here, and we're we're very excited to talk about the project. And you know, just to kind of kick it off, um, how did you two meet? You know, before we get into the professional, yeah. like when, when was that first kind of connection? Well, I'll, I will jump in there. Hi, thanks again for having us and, and for having me back again. Um, uh, so about six years ago, I was given the, the novel, Dr. Bird's Advice for Sad Poets, the YA novel. And um, I was interested in adapting the book into a film. So I optioned the rights and Yaniv and I were introduced through our agents at the time who were at the same agency. Um, things have changed a little bit since then, but at that time we were linked up through our agents and I was looking for somebody to obviously to write the script. And, um, you know, I read some samples from other people and Yaniv happened to be one of the people that I loved one of his scripts that he wrote and um, just really spoke to me in terms of his style and his tone. And, and he, I said, look, you know, I'd love to have you read the book and see what you think. And um, he really resonated with the book and related to it. And um, we just started, you know, developing a script. I don't remember the timeline of it, but uh, we then decided that, um, you know, we were with the intention of, of course, making the feature. Uh, we we decided that at some point I forget when maybe three years ago to to develop and, and shoot a short film based on the feature to raise the money to be able to finance the film which was very successful because the short film came out great and we enjoyed working together on that so we then which we shot in Florida which we shot in Florida. <laughs> yes we <laughs> forgot part of it. <laughs> Exactly, wonderful crew um, and actors here in Florida. Um, but it was a wonderful tool, um, proof of concept, if you like. But it, it, in itself, it was it was a, a really great project that came out. Everybody was impressed with what we did, especially Neve's, um, you know, visuals and everything else. And so we then took that and it got people really excited about making the feature. And that's kind of where that led off into the, the the couple of years of making the feature version so that it's been a long journey but i think i don't think anyone would ever come on your show and say that they did they did a project in a year or two it just doesn't happen you know i don't know anyone who's had that experience yeah yeah the, the indie film journey is a long and arduous one we know that um and takes many twists and turns but yeah i'm, I'm curious how how the, i guess the deal for the feature finally came together was it just based solely on the strength of the short and the novel was it another piece of talent that you guys ultimately attached to it that helped sort of create the financing model for for the feature well i would say that everyone loves the script the feature script that you need wrote but they were people are <laughs> 
people are dumb and they needed to see what this would actually look like because it is a very unique um, stylized film, kind of a Wes Anderson type of feel to it, um, which has people commented on that actually with the short, um, that it felt kind of like something he, you know, he kind of would do. So once they had a visual to go along with a feature script that they really liked, it was really kind of more of a no brainer. We didn't attach cast until after we had financing. Okay. Got it. Yeah, it is a unique film. Um, can you just give us a brief description? Because, um, you know, when you told us about the film, when we did our first interview, you know, our minds, you know, you try to wrap your brain around exactly what it is. So that unique. You can say that. <laughs> oh, you want me to do it? Yeah. <laughs> give us the elevator. Yeah. Yeah. Or both of you. <laughs> you can tag team. Um, <laughs> well, uh, it's basically, oh God, I'm not ready for the elevator pitch. <laughs> I've been having to do this for a number of, of years now. <laughs> Just watch the movie. It can be long, it can uh, be short, we don't care. No, it's basically, it's, a, it's you know, it, uh, adapted from this book, with this wonderful book. It's, it is a movie about a kid whose sister disappears, basically. Um, and um, he doesn't know where the sister has gone. Uh, he has a very sort of uh, tumultuous family life and he has an extremely um, florid uh, internal life uh, and imagination. He's also got a really severe case uh, of anxiety and, and panic disorder, as well as probably a little bit of depression. So he's, um, he's a sort of sensitive, poetic young man. And um, in his search for his sister, uh, he meets up with his sister's uh, friend who, um, uh, or colleague who, 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 who publishes the, the poetry magazine at the school. And she has other reasons for wanting to find the sister. So it turns basically into a search mystery film of the two of these kids uh, coming of age, uh, trying to find um, his missing sister which is the mystery of the film. Uh, the emotional journey of the film is this kid's relationship with his, uh, the, um, James, who, 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 is, who is the protagonist, his relationship with his family, him trying to leave childhood and um, I guess the strictures and parameters of what his family life was um, and he uses uh, his, his father whom he tur whom he calls the brute whom we don't really know whether he actually is one or not uh, he's been sort of like led within the family dynamic to envision his father as this brute um, he won't he refuses to pay for a psychologist to a, for, for a psychiatrist for uh for james uh because he's sort of, of that older generation which i think a lot of people our age uh and younger can relate to an older generation of men who just you know it's it's that, that sort of um you know a term i don't like toxic masculinity but uh the sort of the the, the previous generation's hyper masculinity about emotions and the father was in the army and he just doesn't believe he basically needs thinks you need to suck it up 
if you're having uh, anxiety issues. And James, stigma, stigma of mental health, stigma, stigma around mental health. Yeah, exactly. And so James constructs in his mind this um, uh, therapist who is a pigeon, <laughs> and um, what is Doctor Bird? And so he has this relationship with this pigeon, who both leads him through the search for his sister and also towards a resolution about finding help for his anxiety and confronting his father uh, about the need for help with his mental health problems. Um, So that's, Primarily, I know that it sounds like a lot. I mean, there's more. He is also his last name is Whitman and he's obsessed with Walt Whitman oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, and, you know, and wants to be a poet like Walt Whitman was. Um, and, you know, there's a question as to whether he is a poet or whether his sister was a poet and who is an artist and what it means to be an artist and what it means to have that kind of sensitivity, how you play out that role in life. And um, so that's you know and that's there's a as shona was saying before there's a very uh fantastical magical realistic element to the film so we both view the external narrative and we also um i think what makes this film particularly unique and what shona and i uh doubled down on and decided to go for in, in the beginning of this was to really get into james interior life as well um and his fantasy life, um, which may lead some people to believe that this is Wes Anderson-like. <laughs> but, but, but it, you know, um, but yeah, the interiority of James's journey mirrors his external journey. And that is sort of both this genre mystery film and also his emotional journey towards trying to find mental health uh, in 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 a t- in a place where that's sort of looked down frowned upon. Wow. It's also comedy. It's also comedy. Yes, <laughs> that's funny too. <laughs> yeah. It's very funny. It's unique. It's, I feel like it's very unique in it and clever in its way of a, of a, of addressing mental illness in a way that we haven't seen before, uh, especially for teenagers. And obviously, as we've all as we're all aware. Um, these days during this this pandemic, um, you know, mental health has become a huge issue, especially with teenagers and suicide rates have gone up and things like that, which is just awful. But um, but we, we you know this this film is entertaining, but also you know uh, deeper. There's a deeper message about mental health and how to talk about it with people and how some people are not able to and other people are. And it's and it's um, it's this coming of age situation. Of course, there's a love story. That develops between James and the lead character Sophie, and all of that stuff, which is which is very nice. But the but the unique message about mental health, I think, is what um, people will really respond to, especially now. Absolutely. And can I interject that the difference between that was a producer talking about a film, and this was uh, interiority and all kinds of nonsense was um, uh, artsy we can't see the trying to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, but you know. Well, actually, before we move it's on, a, though, I, I it's really- It's a funny show for teens. Yeah, that's <laughs> we're talking pigeon. That's why we're a good teen. Fucking pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I, you know what? It's funny because going back to Shona's first interview, I remember we talked about this pigeon in the short, I believe, that it was an animatronic pigeon, correct? Yeah, yeah. from Jim Henson Company. Right, from Jim Henson. Now, I have to, is it, did you cast the same pigeon for the feature or are we going to see a different pigeon? We did, in fact, use the same pigeon and the same puppeteer, um, partly because uh, for the short film, I had to pay to re, uh, what's the word? Um, basically, <laughs> Refurbish, thank you. The mm. the feathers, it's made with real pigeon feathers. Um, so so he was ready to go for the feature, and uh, <laughs> we you know we we obviously budgeted for him to be in the, in the feature, and the puppeteer is amazing. So um, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's mixed in the feature. We 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 have mixed. Uh, because the pigeon had to do more more things right. <laughs> in the feature, so it's a mixture of the Henson um, puppeteering and CG. Yeah. Nice. You know, and what I love, both perspectives are super important because it's a multi-layered film. And I, I can imagine, you know, when you all were pitching it and talking about it, if you both were talking about it in that way, you know, people would want to kind of feel it a little bit and and see it a little bit. But it's it's really enthralling and exciting because when you have a film that's both cerebral and it deals with issues that are so prevalent now, and also tongue in cheek because it has, you know, these humorous elements. Um, it really, you know, drives the anticipation of, of seeing the film. Um, I want to talk about the mental health asp aspect in a minute. But Shona, you told us something that's really interesting in terms of the teaser and the anticipation of the film already. So can you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what happened when you guys released the teaser? Oh, um, so yeah, well, the, when we, we set up um, social media uh, pages on Instagram and Facebook um, about five days ago, I think it was, and within about 30, we posted the trailer first, you know, we have a marketing plan in terms of what, what gets dropped when and all that kind of stuff. And we posted the trailer and within 30 minutes, it was viral. And um, Amazon basically started calling our distributor and saying, hang on a minute, what's going on here? Why do you have this, you know, such engagement so fast? And within, you know, within, I think, three days, we had 160,000 views of the trailer and 6,000 followers on Instagram and like really kind of numbers they had not seen before, which was very exciting and kind of surprised them, to be honest with you, with a smaller indie film like this but um it's uh it's it's definitely going to be um helpful for us in terms of what amazon will be willing to do in terms of you know publicis publicizing the film kind of getting more people to watch because everyone wants to just like you guys by the way so you got one more <laughs> yeah our listeners can't our listeners can't see that but that's okay He's <laughs> dr bird's advice movie there yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. that. We'll get that in, in, into the end. But really, in the trailer, you can feel those layers. So even with the trailer itself, you know, you you all have done such a phenomenal job. And with, let me say that the the editor of the movie and editor of the trailer, his father lives in Florida. <laughs> Just trying <laughs> to bring it go. back for you. <laughs> and his mom used to live in Florida. Okay. We'll, well, we'll take, I, that's we'll going to have to beg the get. question then. Since we shot the short in Florida, where did you guys shoot the feature? Oh, you're going to make me say it, aren't you? <laughs> well, there's the reason why, because we need to talk to our Florida people here and see if we can get some incentives back. So we yeah. can have future. There you go. Dr. Bird. 100%, I wanted to shoot the film in Florida. I mean, it was the dream, was to, to return and do the feature and hire the same crew or, and more, of course, that we had on the short. 
and it just wasn't possible. Um, so, you know, we went to we went to Georgia and um, we found a great location there that worked well for our budget. Um, and we just went, you know, we got some great crew there too. But I know a lot of people are coming back and forth from Florida to Atlanta and, and vice versa. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously the goal is to make films in Florida if we can, but it was tricky years ago <laughs> yeah it, it's tough i mean my company we established a presence in georgia you know in um 2018 november of 2018 so you know you kind of have to understand it's it's a give and take and you know a lot of it has to do with you know legislation and you know different incentives and things that are you know available for the industry so that's unavoidable oftentimes and you want to make mm-hmm. the best movie that you can make and so you know you got to do what you got to do. But Shona, right. we didn't we didn't discuss exactly where in Florida you live because you're you're actually working out of Florida and that's super important. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm stuck at home now obviously, uh not flying anywhere, but um I am in Fort Lauderdale, yes, full time. Fort Lauderdale, well. yeah. So that, yeah. That's important that you actually you do live here. So that's yeah. that's great. Um I did want to touch on on the mental health aspect. I come from a generational um, family of mental health. My mom has a master's in mental health counseling. Uh, psychology was my second major. My daughter is studying psychology in the same school that I graduated from, University of Miami, right now. And so my entire family, my grandfather was a bishop, you know, it, so he yeah. did, you have to do that part when you're a minister and a reverend dealing with people and their issues. And so within our family, we understand the importance of mental health and it's as important as the physical health. And so one thing, another thing, another layer that I'm looking forward to in seeing this movie is, you know, we, you wanna see it help people, young adults, you know, and, and adults deal with the issues that they have and know that, you know, you don't have to be scared if you have to reach out for help. And if you, um, you know, need to, you know, show your emotions and feel your emotions. So that also gives me an, another you know, layer of excitement in, in seeing this film. So um, can you guys just, you know, briefly discuss, you know, some of the issues that the film grapples with, both mental health and, uh, you know, it's a multi-layered film, um, the layers of the young adults and the adults in the film. That's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> You want to you want to go or? No, I think you should definitely handle the mental health side of things. Uh, <laughs> I, I will tell you why she says that. <laughs> um, <laughs> she, uh, I um I um, uh, first of all, uh, Kevin's also strangely, my mother is a, a doctor of psychology um, who, who who lives in Delray, and she was she was um, a pretty. A very she is a, a very successful traumatologist who was the first psychologist on scene at 9-11. Um, and uh, she took a plane load of uh, traumatologists from Florida, uh, picked, picked people up around the country, and uh, she was in charge of all the psychologists at 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then I uh, briefly studied uh, psychology over a summer at Yale uh, as well. So I have a, a pretty deep understanding of it from a theoretical point of view, but also from an experiential point of view, because I, as a teenager, had uh, a pretty bad anxiety disorder, um, which was triggered actually 
<laughs> in college after I took some mushrooms, um, <laughs> which which uh, is is a different conversation than the uh, the earlier drinking conversation <laughs> that we had. Man, we take it there, um, Screen Heat Miami. We take it, it all the way there. So. Yeah, I, I'm trying to get you more listeners here. <laughs> Let's Thanks. talk about drug use. Um, um, no, uh, so yeah, I had it was it was very very bad, debilitating, um, and it's something that I suffered for many years attempting to um, recuperate from. Um, and so, honestly, uh, it's, it's very interesting that also, which Shona didn't mention the way that we met. Um, and, and one of the reasons that we, you know, I was so drawn to this, this book that she was drawn to uh, is that um, I had been wanting to do uh, a, a story about um, mental health, depression, anxiety, a film for a very long time, but as with Shona, I didn't want to make a uh, a film that was too dark and too overly serious, and, and 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 I wanted to make something that had both life and humor, uh, but also dealt with the subject in a serious way, and that's why I was drawn to the book that Shona had optioned because it had those elements. It had somebody who was struggling deeply with anxiety and depression but also showed the other side, the joy of life, the fantasy of his life. Um, and that was my experience of it. And that's why I was so drawn to her project and wanted to come on board to try to realize it with her. Um, and so I think, you know, as, 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 as to the different um, issues between the adults uh, and, and, the, and the kids in the film, I think, you know, there's a coming of age story and it's, it's something that I think all adolescents can, or most adolescents can relate to, both from the female perspective, uh, his girlfriend, and from the main character, James, dealing with that anxiety and depression, which I think is also, as, as Shona was saying, omnipresent right now, uh, as, every, as, you know, everybody's dealing with all the external influences. Um, and then it also deals with... Um, generational passage of anxiety, um, which is something that you were alerted, um, alluding to, I mean, in, in your family, maybe not the generational, I, I, don't, I don't know your family, but, you know, you were saying that there's a, there's a, there's a generational aspect to people being involved in mental health capacities. Uh, in this film, there's an allusion to a discussion about how mental health problems can be transmitted through families whether that's genetic and you know that that's a, a conversation that's actually like being hotly debated right now whether there is a generate a, a genetic component to anxiety disorders um, or trauma passage through time even in dna uh or whether it's just behavioral um it's something that i that's, that was in the book to some degree. And then Shonen also, and I also wanted to explore between James and his parents and his sister in a family context, familial context. Um, so I think that's the relationship between the, 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 the adults and the, and the children. Uh, it's very, very interwoven, the experiences that they're all having together. Um, yeah. And that also, I think that's why it would be, you know, to, to do a promotional in, in, in the way that Shona might, that's why it would be great for kids and their, and their parents to watch together because it really does. Uh, uh, but to, to purchase separately. 
<laughs> simultaneously. <laughs> well, you know, um, th- th- that's a that's a great point because uh, this is definitely a film that I'm going to watch with my daughter. Uh, we're both huge fans of Taylor Russell because we oh, watch. She's amazing. Yeah, we watch Lost in Space. You know. Oh together. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. like a family. You know, family show that we all watch. Yeah. And she's such a tremendous actor. And you could feel it even in Lost in Space. You know, every time she was on screen, she just lit the screen up. You know, I'm really excited. Not just about her. I mean, you guys have some names. You have, you know, David Arquette and, you know, but it's 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 not really all always about the names. It's how they mesh together. So right. I'm, I'm super excited about that. Um, one of my favorite books, you know, when I was studying psychology is this book called The Dance of Anger. So my favorite class was a women in psychology class. So it was one of the books from that class. And that book is all about the cycles that we go through and families go through. And, you know, looking at those cycles and seeing exactly the triggers within those cycles and and breaking that dance of anger, you know, that cycle. And so that was, I think for me, you know, one of the the best answers to hear because you know, dealing with that whole familial um, element is something that can also help people a lot. Uh, so I started yeah. talking about the your cast, which I love. Um, but can you guys just talk a little bit about your cast and how that came together and, you know, how it kind of populated the movie? Yeah. Um, well, we, we, first of all, we had to start to find our James. And if we didn't find our James, we had no movie because he is just sort of obviously the most important, but not just because he's the main character, but because he's such a unique character. And we had to find a teenager that was able to play a 16-year-old and, and with that sort of depth of, um, you know, wisdom, if you like, um, that to, to pull it off and to carry a whole movie. And so, you know, we, we actually auditioned worldwide. I mean, we had tapes coming in from Australia. We had, you know, we were all over the place. And, um, and Lucas Zuman, um, he, you know, he, his, his tape just kept coming back to the top of the pile. And we just said, you know, I think he's the one. And we saw him in 20th Century Women and we kind of like, yeah, he's, he's probably the right guy. Um, I think he was 17 at the time and, you know, but he was eight SAG eligible at 18. So we were able to use him, you know, not he had to take his, uh, his, uh, test. Remember we had to wait till he took his test to his school test. Um, In order to be able to work full days. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, because we couldn't afford to not have him work, you know, full days uh, and, and have him, we had to work as an adult. So, um, but yeah, obviously once we found him, I mean, it just kind of, we then we went to, to Sophie and we found Taylor Russell. We, again, auditioned people, a number of, of great people, but she stood out as being um, the Sophie that we were looking for. And, uh, um, and then we moved on to the parents. Um, and look, we, we, you know, we cast Jason Isaacs uh, first, I believe, and then um, Lisa Edelstein as the mom. And, and, you know, I think the family really started to come together once we had her as well. And then we, when we were looking in uh, at the smaller roles in, in Atlanta, we cast uh, Chase Stokes as the boyfriend. Um, and he later became quite, quite uh, well-known on the Netflix show Outer Banks. He plays lead. And so that has been quite helpful <laughs> to, 
to getting our word out there because he is um, very active on social media, which of course is very helpful to us. And all the girls so love mental. him. Yes, the girls. <laughs> my daughter <laughs> loves him. We watch that show together too. So and uh, right. he also uh, just to interject, um, Chase also has a um, mental health foundation, right? Right. So yes, he's an ambassador for Bring Change to Mind, which is um, a charity run by Glenn Close, and he is highly active in in the charity, um, and uh, and has spoken out on national television about his own dealings with anxiety. And um, so we we actually spoke to him this week, and he's he's actually we're putting together a charitable giveaway of, of some of the wardrobe that he wore in the film. I'm really happy I kept all of it. My husband kept saying, when are you getting rid of those bins? They're taking up space in the garage. And I said, no, I'm keeping everything. You just never know. And so we're going to put together a, you know, a donation, um, basically contest, if you like, to give away the movie, the, the wardrobe that he wore. And probably Lucas also, um, to raise money for this Bring Change to Mind charity. So we'll have the, we'll be raising money for an, an, a, a mental health charity at the same time as raising awareness about mental health and obviously the film. Well, I do have another question. And I remember from our first interview with you, uh, you, you gave us this uh, interesting uh, story about David Arquette. Oh, and yeah. how, how that came about. Not to leave David out. I apologize, David. I, I was going to bring it back. I'm, I'm a huge fan, too. Yeah. You know, so. Such a sweetheart. Um, we we had a different actor to play this cameo role of, of Xavier, who's a very sort of um, larger-than-life uh, character. I don't want to give too much away. But he, so anyway, about three days, I think it was, before we were due to film that scene. It was an overnight 12-hour shot, you know, shoot. And uh, the other actor pulled out and we were sort of scrambling to recast that role with very little time. And our casting director was, um, we were trying to find someone in Atlanta because that's where we were and you know, make it quick and we need somebody, we need somebody. And so our casting director, Charlene Lee, jumped on it and um, she put the word out there and, and, and David actually auditioned. So when we saw his name on the on the you know, on the list and of the video clips, we were like, what? David Arquette, that's crazy. Uh, he's not going to be right for this, you know? And of course he, he was absolutely perfect and, and so great. And, and the story is, and he, he talks about it. In fact, he's mentioned something on social media this week that he actually was looking for a way to get back into really acting more. And this was the role, this was the role, the first audition that he went back to and he was so excited when he got the role. And um, I mean, he's just, he's wonderful in the film, but he was such a gentleman on set. He went up and introduced himself to every every extra or background actor um, on in his scene and um, just just very kind. And and I mean, that was my experience as a producer. I, I assume you need, you had a similar experience. I mean, just to follow up on what Shona said, the anxiety <laughs> that that role <laughs> caused is yeah. is the reason why I have gray temples right now. <laughs> gray hair on my temples. You can't see this. We, we're going to post a picture of you on the website. <laughs> we were... Um, it was it was a it was a very it was, you know it was a stressful shoot it was twenty days, um, and uh, we I, I had a, a long time friend who wanted to be who, who I've known who wanted to be in that role, and 
it was all set for a long time, but famous actor. And he got a major arc on a TV series and he just had to pull out. And it's a very, the role that we're talking about, it's a, it, as, as Shona said, it's a very, very over the top role that could be easily destroyed by doing it, by doing too much and easily deflated by doing too little. And we went through in, I mean, while we, we're, we're in the middle of sh- showing in our shooting, we're shooting 12 out, you know, we're, we're 12 hours, you know, just trying to get through our days, make our days with everything that is going wrong. And I think that weekend there was a flood that we drove through and one actor had some medical problem and we were like, did a 12 hour day. And the two of us drove back to where we were staying and had to find an open CVS or something in the middle of the night on our way back from set and then we get the email that like my fr- my 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 pal is pulling out I mean, it was madness and we had we had to go to the CVS to find this actor you know some sort of medic you know medication anyways um we so we we, we it's making me itch as a producer that's making me itch all over no i can't tell you how stressful this was anyways we get this email and then it's over a weekend i think too it was so like you know shona puts out the word in atlanta we try to find our you know regional florida florida georgia whatever we cannot find a single person who i mean and we got so we're doing 12 hour days we get home at night and I, and we're look, we're going through audition tapes um, and we can't find anyone. I mean, it's really like no one. Like it would be just better not to shoot it. Then we put out a call in LA and we get, I think Charlene got thousands of, of tapes, like within, a, within 24, 36 hours. Mm-hmm. And as she said, I see David Arquette and my, one of my best friends uh, who we made our we premiered our first short films together at the New York Film Festival a long time ago. He had done a movie with David and they had become very, very close friends. And so I knew David, I knew of David through him over many years. And I see David Arquette on my list and I'm just like, what? Is this like the same guy? And I press on it and literally I'd gone through almost everybody else. I mean, in like hundreds of tapes. And I see his audition and I'm telling you, he was just perfect. Like spot, there was nobody I could think of who, you know, I think we got lucky actually, yeah. the way it worked out. And <laughs> then he came on and, and as Shona was saying, I have never, I'm, I've worked with a lot of really nice actors and, 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 and people who are complete terrors. Uh, David, it, as Shona said, it was an over. It was a twelve-hour overnight, and he literally introduced himself personally to every single, um, you know, background player. And it was a it was a large group of them that night, um, and was so kind and so gracious and so giving. It was it was really a joy to work with him, and you know. It's funny. I think to some degree he gets a little bit of short shrift because he's done certain kinds of commercial films. He is a damn fine actor. I mean, he is a damn, damn fine actor. Yeah, really good. You know, of course, as actors, it's 
oftentimes feast or famine. So, you know, you have those big commercial films. That's a nice paycheck. But as act, I'm going to just want to speak on the acting side. <clears throat> Actors all know that there's no such thing as a small role. So whatever role that you take, you put as much as you can. And I know that you're saying you guys got lucky on, on, on that. But the film sounds like such an extraordinary film. It, it would be an opportunity, I think, for any actor. And it makes me think back to Dame Judi Dench, who won an Oscar for Shakespeare in Love. She was only on screen for five minutes. Mm, that's five right. minutes. That's right. And so, yeah. and, and, and I can talk as a producer director. Um, I just uh, directed a feature a couple of weeks back, but every single actor, for the most part, that had a speaking role, I really told them to think about the backstory. Think about when you, you know, your character from the time they were born until the time they enter into the script. And that's how serious, you know, you really have to kind of take these roles. And so if this is sounds like a very unique role that, again, you know, something that I'm looking forward to seeing in the film, I'm looking forward to seeing his his role in the film, because, you know, for him to jump at something like that, I'm sure it's it's going to be something that's a. Uh, snackable very delicious uh to see, <laughs> delicious to see. Yeah. Um, i have to say like we really i mean i don't know whether it's luck or the fact that uh or or, or stubbornness and i think to some degree it's both i think i was being extremely stubborn about who we were going to cast as to some degree was jonah um even when we were in some at some points trying to be pressured financially away from certain people towards other people we ended up with, I mean, I've been wanting to work with Jason Isaacs for a decade since I saw him in, in uh, I think, Peter Pan, uh, Pan I think. It was. I don't remember what the, yeah. Um, and he, he's just an extraordinary, extraordinary actor. Um, Lisa and I had worked together before and she's just incredible. Um, and then all of the kids, uh, and, and you had mentioned Taylor and how much you love her in Lost in Space. She's doing just astounding work now. Um, mm -hmm. And Lucas, I mean, like, we just got lucky and, and Chase, I mean, even small, like, as, as you're saying, the smaller Chase and, and David, these are smaller roles. And we just got actors who, 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 I mean, either eventually blew up, you know, since we, or had been already extraordinary actors. We, we really got very, very lucky on, what was what is such a small movie? Well, also in addition to that, we we had um, we had a soft commitment from D Brian Cox to play Doctor Bird because we oh. wanted to have a we wanted to have a, a, a famous voice over to play you know the one of the leads if you like of, of the title of the film, and um, unfortunately he wasn't able to do it. So we again were sort of scrambling to find a replacement. And um, and we ended up enticing Tom Wilkinson by sort of showing him some of the clips of the film, and and uh, and he, you know, was an Oscar nominee. I mean, he, you know, he's in London, and he had to, you flew to London, I think, to to, to work. With I him. did, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Tom Wilkinson has been also one of my favorite actors for a very very long time, and it was just such. It was extraordinary to be able to fly to London and, and meet him and, and work with him, you know, basically for a day, you know, we just did voiceover for Dr. Bird in a tiny little studio um, in London. And I, I kind of flew in, was in London for 36 hours and, and was out. 
um, yeah. got to meet meet one of my, you know, I think one of my screen heroes. Um, actually, I think I, I traipsed around London with Jason and Isaacs that day, when, oh, <laughs> the day after, <laughs> which was which was super fun, uh, which was yeah. super fun. But um, I mean, the, you know, I, I, those two are people I've been wanting to work with for, I mean, honestly, a decade. And, and, yeah. and I just I got very, very lucky or we yeah, got, if, we got if, very, very lucky. If and Jason was such a great person to be around. He wasn't this his his agent sort of portrayed him as being somebody who would need his own everything in his trailer and his entourage. <laughs> he's absolutely the opposite, complete opposite. He ba- I don't even think he sat in a trailer. I think he stood by our side the entire time, watching you know the monitor, and he was so into it and excited and. And and even after in between filming, um, he my kids and, and my husband came up to Atlanta to, to hang out for a weekend and 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 Jason, I said, hey, we're going to the cafe. You want to come? He said, sure. And my, actually, my mom was there too, and she was a big fan, of course, being from the UK. And um, we're sitting there having cookies with Jason Isaacs, and and he starts talking about the fact that he loves to play tennis. Well, my daughter plays tennis, and he turned to her, and she's very shy, and he said. Hey, so do you want to go and play? We can go. There's a court, and she and she goes, yeah, sure, because she was a big Harry Potter fan, of course. I was stunned. I was like, wow, I thought she'd just get really shy and not say yes. So I have video of them playing tennis together, and it's just like he was just so, so kind and 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 accommodating and just not at all ego driven whatsoever, which was really nice to see. You you shouldn't have said that you have video. Now we want that video to put on the website. Ah, <laughs> we want to see it. Got to keep pumping that I do have an interesting question. Um, my company, we do a lot of animation. So we do a lot of voice acting. One of my projects, we have Daryl Hannah and Michael Chiklis and Tommy Flanagan and, and people like that. But um, from just about every actor that I speak with, they tell me the voice acting is as tough, if not tougher, um, to, to do in terms of giving a performance. What was your experience like in pulling out that performance in terms of uh, that voiceover? Hmm. Yes, you need. What was your experience like? Well, uh, well I don't know. I pulling, mean, pull, pulling out, I don't know if, if that's the case from an Oscar-nominated actor, but, you know, bringing that performance into focus in terms of the film. yeah no no i mean look a it was it was tom wilkinson <laughs> um but uh you know i i think i flew in and um it was interesting like i flew in and we went to this tiny little recording studio at uh, seven in the morning and we had a couple hours to get to get the whole thing done and um you know it was kind of like doing adr and it work in, in in you know in in a way um and it's it's funny like he did he he did it he he understate the, the first go around I think it was it was understated, and he went through almost the entire you know we we just did scene after scene after scene, and then I think at some point it was you know it was interesting for me too because he was like he's one of my heroes professionally, and I'm just like. So, um, could you maybe uh, bring this up a little bit, energy-wise? Like, uh, so you know, it was it was directing him to you know, directing him to 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 to, to change the performance a little bit because I knew the movie so well, and he, you know, he was coming in to do a day of work basically. 
what happened was uh, there was this transition. There's a scene at the end of the movie that is very emotional that takes place with the pigeon. And he watched it. And all of a sudden he looked at me after what was sort of like me being very, you know, very sort of like tenuous sort of like grasp on how to approach this man whom I sort of revered um, and asking him to do something a little bit different than what he had done. And he looked at me and said, this is very good. <laughs> this, this is, oh no, he said, this is very touching. And then all of a sudden I said, do you think maybe we could do it over again? And he said, he looked at me and at first I thought he was basically going to tell me to go, you know, I don't know where this is airing, but you know, you, yeah, to go take a fly. Fuck yourself. Yes, to go fuck yourself. Um, and, and I was pretty sure that's what was coming. And then he looked at me and I think having seen that, that particular scene, which actually emotionally touched him, he said, sure. And then we went back and then he, having you know, seen all the scenes consecutively, understood immediately what, how to play it. And then it you know, came out beautifully, I think. You know, I, I, lo- I love his performance. That's we needed that. We need that chunk right there. That's that's oh, that that touched me hearing that. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So we we heard a little bit about some of the hiccups from that story. You know, in the storm, headed to the CVS and getting the medicine. Uh, I always <laughs> like to hear. You know, what are some of the you know big shining moments, and then some of the challenges. So can you all discuss a little bit about you know? Yeah. I'd like, I want to point out, you're talking about getting emotional. I, I, you need, you'll remember. Um, I'm not sure we've mentioned it yet, but Moby um, has, had given us his music to use for the film. Um, he's a good friend oh. of you. And, and he generously above and beyond provided his catalog of music to us, uh, which we would never have been able to afford and just graciously um, let us use, use his tracks. And so there's a scene in um, James, the main character, is, is in a chorus in a chorus at the school, and we have this beautiful scene where he's in the chorus with the other um, singers, and they're singing an adaptation of one of the Moby songs, um, "Why Does My Heart Feel So Bad?" And um, it's just, you know, it's, we're actually filming in a courthouse, which is made to look like the school because we couldn't actually shut down the school. Um, and so the acoustics are amazing. And Yaniv, if you'll remember, we, we start we start filming that. And we're both at the monitor and we are literally like wiping the tears from our faces, standing side by side, because it was this moment of, oh my gosh, we're actually doing this. And this is emotional. And this looks, I mean, it looked beautiful on the monitor. We were shooting anamorphic and it just looked amazing. And we're hearing this beautiful music and these amazing voices from these young people that were local uh, choir kids that we just pulled together um, uh, at the last minute. And I, I'll never forget that because it was one of those moments we went, ah, oh, this is, yeah, we're actually making a very emotional film. And that's one yeah. of Moby's biggest hits. So yeah. it is. Yeah. Moby was so nice to give us, um, to give to us. And I've been friends with him for, probably over a decade. Um, and he gave us all his music. And then uh, a lot of my friends are musicians and we, we got a lot of them to um, do 
variations on on his songs that we use throughout the movie. So almost like uh, what Robert Altman did in um, uh, whatchamacallit, the um, the uh, detective movie, the great detective movie. Anyways, where I, I, we keep on using that song as a theme, but done differently in, in terms of what the emotion uh, of the scene is. But I remember that that forgotten. But yeah, I, I that was the most emotional, uh, beautifully and and, and glo- you were asking like glorious. Uh, we we were sitting there and those kids started singing a very um, haunting version of the song and I just started weeping like a child. <laughs> um, we have really of that. <laughs> I mean, I have I have very strong memories of a lot of my crew making fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take that too. <laughs> um, that that movie that uh, you're thinking about is it the Long Goodbye? The Long the Goodbye. Long thank you. Yes, yes. So it, I was inspired by the Long Goodbye because I was. I thank you. I just it slipped my mind. But the Long Goodbye. I don't know if you remember. Uh, he takes one theme. Uh, and basically in the supermarket, he uses it as like a Muzak, a Muzak version of the theme. And in the car, there's like, you know, there's a, there's a straight version of, of the song. And uh, every, every scene, it's the same theme, but like done in a different mood. And I've always thought it would be interesting to do that within a, with a song rather than, than, than a musical theme. And um, so we had talked about that from, from the very beginning, um, and Moby let us use that song. And then I got a lot of his people who have been in some bands of his and then other, uh, a number of them and other friends. And we, and then this chorus that we put together uh, of kids uh, in, in Atlanta to do two different versions, an upbeat version and a really downbeat version. Um, um, and uh, it was fun to be able to replicate also. I, I love the long goodbye. Um, and, and, and it was fun to be able to do a variation on, on that theme in, in using a Moby song. So, um, and what a song to use. I mean, wow. Uh, it's, he, he's, he's so talented. And I love it when, you know, the music is a character in the film too, you know? Oh, so yeah. we spoke of layers Here's another one. Here's another layer, you know, <laughs> and something else that really draws you into what sounds like not only a, a film that is a vital, very important film, you know. So, wow, I can't wait until it comes out. Uh, can we talk a little bit about I mean, we're kind of, you know, heading towards the, the end of uh, the end of the, the interview. But um, can we talk a little bit about how we're going to be able to see it, when we're going to be able to see it, where we're going to be able to see it? Yeah. Um, yeah, so the release date will be December 8th in the United States um, on Amazon. Um, you'll be able to rent it, buy it, uh, all of that good stuff at that point on Amazon exclusively. They wanted an exclusive for until January. So I don't know the exact date yet in January, but in January, there will, it will be available to rent on iTunes and Vudu and YouTube and Google. So, but really what we need you to do is to, um, to go to our Instagram and Facebook pages and like and follow the pages so that we can, you can get updates there and, um, you know, we can, we're dropping clips and, and stills and information on those, which would be great. It's at Dr. Bird's Advice Movie, um, it's at Dr. Bird's Advice Movies, or DR, 
where it's moving. Um, and so that would be the best way to follow and kind of get more in, uh, updates and information. Awesome. Well, I think that's that's pretty much what we need. I, I think before we go to our signature, right, Kevin? We, I, I wanna, I wanna, since the movie's called Dr. Bird's Advice, I have one piece of advice for you guys. And this is, goes back to Disney last year. Remember, they got caught with their pants down when they released The Mandalorian and didn't have all these amazing plush dolls of Baby Yoda. So I'm thinking already Dr. Bird is gonna be a hit in terms of merch. So just okay. keep that in the back. I mean, I think a Tom Wilkinson talking bird that you can just kind of put on your desk when you're having a rough day and I just like kind that. of get advice would be huge. I like it. Well, we're, we're hoping to also um, be selling t-shirts for, for the charity as well, but that's a good idea in addition. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I would bet on it just because I, 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 I'm enamored with the whole idea of a talking bird now. So it's, that's, <laughs> I'm excited Agreed. to do this for that. <laughs> Agreed. But, uh, but yeah, this has been an amazing hour, a great journey. We're very excited to see the film on Amazon December 8th. And so this is sort of our last two-part question. I'll ask the first part, Kevin, I'll ask the second part. Uh, Shona, I think you've been through this one before, uh, but Yaniv hasn't. So this is essentially a back to the future question, Yaniv. So I'll go to you first. If you could travel back in time to a young Yaniv in Boca, Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give yourself then? <laughs> Go to medical school. <laughs> <laughs> hey, our listeners don't want to hear that. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I'm not sure that that's not true. No. Um, <laughs> look, uh, you know, it's like that old... Um, um, I'm not sure if it's a Zen story about the farmer who uh, who keeps on, you know, uh, something happens to him and that's a tragedy. He's in a town and something that that happens to him and there's a tra his horse gets stolen or his horse breaks a leg or something. And his neighbors come by and says and he's and they say, oh, God, I'm so sorry for your loss. That's so horrible. What happened to your horse? And he looks at them and he says, we'll see. And then all of a sudden, uh, the, you know, the horse has a child and it comes or the horse, uh, you know, has a, a, a baby foal and the foal is there and replaces the horse. And now all of a sudden there's a great prosperity for them. Um, and the neighbors come back and say, well, look what happened. You know, maybe the horse died, but you've got this great foal. And you can use that for, for, you know, for your benefit in the future. And he looks at them and he says, we'll see. And then the story continues like this. And I don't want to, to butcher it too much. Um, but basically, in the end, through all of these tragedies and all of these seemingly positive things, he always just says, everybody either congratulates him or consoles him. And he always just looks at them and says, we'll see. Uh, that's what I would tell my younger self, that to stop having expectations and making assumptions, to always just keep on looking forward to the future and, and with, without those assumptions and expectations and just realize that you never know what the negative or positive action that you, that you perceive in life are actually going to bring with them. That we'll just continually see, um, because I think... In my younger years, I had very specific expectations and was very um, 
it, when they didn't come to pass the way that I wanted them to come to pass, it was very, very hard for me, very traumatic. But you never know what brings you to what. Um, and, um, and uh, you know, a, a certain trajectory brought me to this movie, which which I'm so proud of and I, and I love so much and brought me to Shona and our partnership. Um, and there were certain things that didn't happen for me that brought me to this. So um, I think um, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well now, said. I want to ask Shona the question, but slightly different since you already kind of answered it once. Yeah, I can't well, beat that. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, well, we'll see. We'll see, Shona. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you can go back knowing what you know now, having gone through this process of making this feature to a Shona that was just about to option the book, what advice would you give yourself then, knowing what you know now? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> that's really, that's really interesting because the way I immediately want to say, don't do it, put it down, stop reading. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think, I think it's sort of similar to what you said that the expectations um, have to be managed in a different way. I mean, I, I didn't expect to be talking about this film and hasn't even come out yet. And it's six years later. Um, it was a struggle at times. And we, we, in fact, we had two financiers before the ones that we ended up with and that, that all fell through. And we've had actors that were interested, you know, looking at maybe doing it and then that fell through, we, we, you know, but that's how it goes. And I think that it, the resilience that we have now after going through this film um, will, will take us to the next and we will have learned a lot of, new things we didn't think we needed to learn, you know, and, um, and that's where the, you know, the, where the glass is half full concept comes in for me is, is that, that that's how I try to look at everything sort of similar. In fact, to what you just said is that, you know, you just have to roll with it sometimes and you have to keep focused on what you, what the end game is going to be, but the path and the journey is going to be very different than you expect. Whoa, that, I mean, those are weighted equally. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, you know, it's the producer and director perspective. So we get two, two different kinds of perspectives. Um, yeah. The second part to the question is, and uh, Shona, um, this one you can answer um, just tethered with the experience that you've had since we interviewed you the first time. But uh, Yaniv, we're going to throw it to you first. What advice, and this is for those wanting to get into the industry, beginners that are already kind of in, a, in the industry, and then, you know, some folks that are still, you know, in the industry, you know, trying to find their way. What advice would you give to uh, filmmakers that are in those three different silos? That didn't go to med school. <laughs> <laughs> or went to med school and said forget it you know they this should, is what i want to do they, but they and then they have money should, you know <laughs> they should sign up for med school <laughs> um uh look um you know kevin i think that you'd probably be i mean all, all four of us probably would have have um different kind of experiences to relate to people because everybody's path is so different in this business um and 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 there's there's no overarching theme to to anything in this business. Um, I would say that the business is changing dramatically right now. 
um, beside, put aside the pandemic and the collapse of the economy and so on and so forth. Even prior to that, it's changed dramatically in the time that, that I came out here from the collapse of the studios uh, to distribution on the internet. And, um, and I think that no one really knows where it's going now. <laughs> um, I think no one in charge knows where it's going now. Um, and I think that, um, you know, I guess it harkens back a little bit. There's two things I would say. I would say if you're talking about Hollywood, then uh, I would say that in terms of your own projects, you should be aware of the fact that no one is interested in anything until everyone is interested in something. <laughs> um, that's one thing I would say. To keep up, to be aware of. That's how this business works. Um, the, the the Hollywood version of the business, not what Shona did, not what like you know the indie the indie producer version. That's when you need a Shona where she has a vision, and no matter what anyone says, she just goes forward with it, and then you get something done after many many years. Um, but I would also say again, kind of to what I was uh, discussing when I was uh, to my younger self when you asked that question, is um, maintain a flexibility about the medium itself, because the two-hour movie uh, is um, is not a relic uh, by any stretch of the imagination. It's the only thing I wanted to do with my life, but I find myself making my li- living in television for the last. Uh, decade and I do very well there uh it's not what I wanted you know it wasn't the my my dream coming up but I think that you can then uh superimpose that idea uh onto different kinds of forms and mediums that are growing with uh with with online distribution so there are opportunities and options uh to to make creative content in, in many different forms. And if you grew up, grew up with a certain kind of um, uh, intention, sensibility, romanticize, you know, it, romanticizing a, a certain kind of thing, uh, I think you need to be extremely flexible in regard to what you pursue now um, in many different ways and also be uh, many-hatted, which is to say, be able to do many different things. Um, uh, that that's within, 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 within the business, you know, within, so that you can jump from one thing to another, um, if you need to. That's great. That's great advice because there are so many opportunities now in terms of storytelling, episodic, of course, but you know, most directors, you know, have their commercial agency where they direct commercials, you know, and, and different things. So that's, that's tremendous advice there. Um, Shona? putting on your producerial cap. Um, <laughs> uh, can you season yeah, some advice? I think, that, I think that what you said is, is correct. Obviously in, in terms of being flexible um, and te- I think teaching yourself as many things as you can and staying on top of what's coming next and kind of projecting in a way of what, what could be coming. Uh, you know, if you specifically want to do makeup, then you would obviously go down that path. If you're looking at directing or producing or something a bit more, I wouldn't say general, but you really need to know everything about everything in order to be able to do those jobs. That's a slightly different path than if you have a very specific job that you're looking, that you want to do. 
Um, so I think, you know, we can really only speak to writing, directing, producing, but, um, I think nowadays creating your own content, I mean, kind of what we did with the short film, we, we created a short film in order to raise the money to make the feature. Well, that was two years ago. Well, now we probably, we may, you know, I would say to people, depending on the type of film, of course, this is a highly stylized film and we really needed to have the exact right lenses and everything else. But a lot of times you can, can shoot, a uh, proof of concept, you know, uh, on the iPhone cameras now. And, and I mean, two years ago, that was not going to look good. Um, but I'm just saying, either be resourceful, I think, is, is, is a good word. And then just find ways to, to make, you know, what you're looking to do seen, you know, be seen. You can now put things on YouTube. You can, you can have social media presence. All of that's important. I've learned a lot myself over the last week about social media and the science behind the marketing and how you link everything together. And it's it's how you get an audience. That's how you get an audience now. It's not so much like you said. I mean, their theaters are closed because of the pandemic, but you know, it, it was going a little bit that way anyway. I mean, we were all kind of staying home and watching our Amazon Prime, and we were watching you know all our all of that stuff at home. So. Um, it's, as he said, nobody knows what's coming next. And the pandemic has really thrown that train off the tracks. So just, I think just be aware and just be, do what you love. I, I don't know. I think that's basically it. That makes sense. And find a, and find a producer like Shona. Well, yeah. <laughs> now everyone's going to be calling Shona, sending you emails. I, I'm not kidding. <laughs> you need, you need, you need somebody who you know. Shona had had mentioned the word resilience before, which I think is extremely important. But uh, you know, you need to be with someone, or you need to be someone who is just. And it's something that I had to learn because that was not my nature who is just indefatigable, who is just does not stop, just decides to make it and then, and takes, you know, and, and finds every path and every route to be able to do it. Um, because it doesn't come easy. I mean, that's the thing, you know, it really doesn't come easy. Yeah. I love that. I mean, you know, that's invaluable advice, the resourcefulness, because in any part of the industry that you want to, go into that you're going to need that resourcefulness and you guys even said it and i don't know maybe one of my favorite stories is the flood cvs you know trying to get another actor part of this interview but you know that resourcefulness i wish, that, I wish we could tell you the actual story <laughs> which we can't whoa we're gonna have to have that on the outtake we actually had two actors with medical problems on the same day same day oh. same day Wow. Uh, we, we called one of them was really sick and we couldn't we had to think quickly who are we gonna what are we gonna shoot? We had this location for one more day and we brought, we're like, oh well, we shoot those scenes. We brought the other actor in and he showed up with a medical problem, so we couldn't really shoot it properly. Anyway, it was a it was one of those days we were going, Are you freaking kidding me right now? Right. Yeah, it was one of those days. Wow. Yeah, so that, that is a marker of the resourcefulness and the resilience you, that you have to have, even once you, are, you know, already have the budget, once you're already in production, because invariably, you know, one thing is going to go south or the other. You know, a lot of things go north. So. Or four things at once. Oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, four things at once. So, um, you know, tremendous. Uh, Shona, again, thank you very much. Uh, you always come in clutch. 
for us, uh, our du jour uh, interview panelist, uh, <laughs> what have you. So uh, thank you very much. Thank um, you. Yaniv, it was truly a pleasure. Oh, such a pleasure you know, for me too, to, um, to, to meet you. And, and of course, to hear this story. I, I don't know, this interview might be as good as the movie. So, <laughs> so, so, so thank you all very, very much. Um, this awesome. was, uh, this was, yeah, no, this, this was great. Thank you guys. Make sure December 8th, Amazon, Dr. Bird's advice for sad poets. And we look forward to seeing you guys again soon out there. Thanks so thank much, you. guys. Thanks for having us. Here we are. We're back. That was, like I said, it was a tour de force. That was a great, once again, a two-on-two. -two. We, we Serena venus it, paddled it back and forth, <laughs> and we just knocked it out again. Those guys were great. That was so great to hear their story, their journey through the industry, their journey as first immigrants to Florida from the UK and from Israel. And then coming up here, growing up as Florida locals and just doing all this amazing work, you know, how they kind of came together through the agency world and, you know, uh, formed this great creative partnership that has resulted in, in this really cool looking film that's that's dropping again, uh, I believe, December 8th on Amazon. So definitely go out and rent it. Follow Dr. Bird on social media. They need all the help they can get to promote the film for its release. And check out the teaser. You heard what they said. The teaser took off immediately. And you'll Absolutely. see exactly what they're talking about and what we've been talking about. So, yeah. And we'll, we'll promote a lot of it on our socials as well. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're definitely looking forward to that, that film in December. And I'm looking forward to Kid Cuddy's new production company. Kid uh -oh. Cuddy has partnered with Bron. LeBron James has his own imprint. And his imprint is doing phenomenally well. And they're partnering with right. a lot of great companies, A24 being one of them on hmm. many, many things. Uh, they've had a lot of hits already. Right. So this partnership I'm anticipating is going to be huge. Uh, oh, yeah. This partnership is for not only film and episodic and television type that content, but also music. Because yeah. Kid Cudi, come, you know, he comes from that background and he's a multi-hyphenated as well. He acts. So he was in the last season of Westworld, actually, season three of Westworld. And he's been in a few a few other things. And, you know, his company, which is called Mad Solar, they're not only coming out with film projects and episodic projects, they're also going to be doing concert projects. But one of the first projects that they're coming out with is a horror film that is in partnership with A24. Nice. The film is called X. So uh, horror is doing very, very well. Horror always um, traditionally is a go-to because it's low cost and high yield. So that's that's a go-to, yeah. but specifically black horror is doing you know really well. So you want yeah, to think of people yeah. like you know Jordan Peele and Get out. Uh, Lovecraft Country, which is on HBO, which has done mm -hmm. phenomenally well. So yeah. you know I think that uh, you know we'll want to look for that. Also, um, Kid Cudi, his 
real name is Scott Mescati. Um, they're coming out with um, another project, which is an animated series called Intergalactic, and it's going to be starring Kid Cudi. He's composing the music, and he's executive producing. So look out for that, Mad Solar. Very much anticipating, anticipating Absolutely. that. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I wanted to jump to this story because I think the Cuddy story is great. But I think that the idea of Spike Lee directing a musical based on Viagra has to be one of the weirdest yet coolest things I have read in the trades all week. Yeah, yeah, that one stuck out. That one stuck out. Literally. Yeah, that's a hard one to pass. Yeah, but you know what? Spike Lee is, you know, he loves musicals, by the way, in case case you didn't know. But, you know, he's very familiar with musicals because he already did what I would consider, you know, sort of a musical, which is right. his film School Days. Oh, there you go. Yeah, School Days, which was his uh, his second film, actually. That mm-hmm. was his big, you know, his big, you know, commercial debut. And it did, it did fairly well. And, right. you know, it had throughout, you know, all these musical pieces. Some of them were kind of set pieces, but right. I, I can I can anticipate when they're saying out of the gate that, it's going to be a musical. It's going to be even more, um, more related to that genre. Yes. Yes. And apparently it is based on the Esquire article titled all rise, the untold story of the guys who launched my (laughs) (laughs) Uh, aptly named. Yes. Yes. We'll we'll all be (laughs) hard pressed to find a better story for 2020. All rise. That's That's great. Just give me a stiff drink and I'm all in. (laughs) We got, we got the Viagra puns all day here at Screen Heat. All right. But uh, but yeah. Yeah. Can't wait to see how that one develops. Yeah. Um, I I do want to get back into uh, some of the agency talk and this has to do with uh, the writer's Guild strike, which is still going on. Well, it's not a strike. Um, well, it's, all yeah, the writers, it was, it's it's yeah. They, it's they a different their kind agents. of thing. Right, right. Yeah. All, so all the, to do with this idea of packaging. Yeah. So um, you can go back. You know, uh, a few episodes ago, we've been talking about it. You know, I would I would say again before January, we started talking about it in uh, November. Um, you know, it's a t- it's a tough one because it all starts with writing. At the end of the day, you know what what they say, if it's not on the page, it's not going to be on the screen. So, you know, the writers, I I feel um, they deserve what they deserve at the end of the day. Yeah. And and particularly, look, when it comes to television, they've always been sort of the top uh, of that pile in terms of and that's where really the packaging issue becomes a bigger deal is is in more in traditional television network packaging where you had syndication and all these sort of ancillary rights and things that would kick in uh, after X amount of episodes were produced. And the agencies apparently were were making money hand over fist in, in that or a sort of deal. And I think the writers and the showrunners finally, you know, said enough is enough. And now they're fighting back. And yeah, it looks like for the most part, they are winning that battle. Uh, They've convinced pretty much all the mid-tier agencies to stop packaging. I believe going back to UTA, I think they promised within two years that they would also stop packaging, but let's see what happens with CAA. Yeah. CAA, you know, is, is one of the big, big guns 
in the industry. So for them, uh, they thought that they had a deal actually. And so I think, you know, some strings on that kind of fell apart. So Mm. what CAA is doing is they're asking a federal judge to issue a preliminary injunction that would force the Writers Guild East and West to drop their boycott against the agency. Um, That's a, that's a tough move. You know, Mm. that's a really tough move, but I really think that that move has more to do with, you know, chest puffing, you know, and the WGA is going to come back with their counter. And I, I I feel that this is going to, uh, to be resolved, you know, before the pandemic is over actually hopefully before the virus comes that's again that's a prediction <laughs> and um i would say i'm 95 on that as well so okay you know we, we i mean really that would be great to have you know the industry with all the engines running by the time right. this you know pandemic uh is over so mm-hmm. um we have one more thing for you yes this has gotta to get do to with this. uh with our hometown and more specifically, JL, your hometown. My home hometown within the, the state of Florida. The Leah, Hialeah, Florida, making the trades. That's always a big day at Screen Heat Miami. I wish we had the traditional Hialeah pots and pans to ring every time Hialeah makes the <laughs> trades. When we get back to the <laughs> podcast office. Exactly. Yeah, we're gonna have like a have to have like a little pot and pan section every time Hialeah gets mentioned on our show. We just you know do a little salsa dance and clink some pots. There you uh, go. But yes, Deadline is reporting that a new streaming show for IMDb TV, which is owned by Amazon, uh, called Hialeah Dade Fucking County Family Comedy, from Monique Alvarez and Jessica Lee Williamson, is in the works. So what is all this about? Who are these people? I'm so excited. Uh, it is a Hialeah native, one of the co-creators, Monique Alvarez. Uh, she's an actress. She can be seen in Percy and a bunch of other projects, uh, but born and raised in the great city of Hialeah. Uh, and she is a first generation Cuban American. Um, and so basically the show follows a character, Chichi Rodriguez, who makes a run from her failed marriage and lands back with her disapproving family in the Cuban Mecca of Hialeah, uh, which they're calling a hard left from Miami, a world away from the lavish version of South Florida and the last place on earth Chichi ever wanted to be. Um, wow. They're making it seem like, like, I don't know, like, like a planet far off in Star Wars or something like the most Isley Cantina or some shit. <laughs> well, Not that far, guys. It's 10 miles from downtown. Everybody's image of Miami always is South Beach. Whenever mm-hmm. the heat, you know, back in the LeBron, uh, D-Wade, Chris Bosh days, right. they always would say LeBron is going to take his talents to South Beach. The yeah. heat playing from South Beach. You mean the arena's not on South Beach? It absolutely <laughs> is not. Yeah. You know? So. And so that's everyone's image. So... You know, well, let's see. Maybe this show will help to clarify South Florida's geography a little bit better, at yeah. least Miami Dade, and just kind of showcase Hialeah in a new way. You know, it's it is interesting because Hialeah, you know, it is within Miami is kind of made fun of. It's all it's all these crazy Cubans and they're always talking Spanish and it's like another country. But 
it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of families, you know, it's, it's a hard working class neighborhood. It's very family oriented. You know, I'm, I'm from there. My family still lives there. And, you know, there's a lot of color, a lot of culture that comes yeah. out of the great city of Hialeah, uh, you know, and so I think it's interesting to explore that now that the industry seems to be opening up more towards diverse voices and multicultural stories that a show like this could come along and kind of paint not only Hialeah, but really all of Miami-Dade in a new light, you know, not make it always the stereotypical South Beach or, you know, cocaine cowboys type stuff that we're used to, detective stories or whatnot, and really have, you know, a fun, lively sitcom, you know, based on our, our Cuban heritage and culture. I love it. Yeah, it's real. And that's what we always talk about this, you know, again, the perception of what Miami is, is one thing, but the reality is a whole nother thing. So it's great to have, you know, these different pockets of stories coming out. Moonlight is one of them, you know, different pockets of stories about what Miami really is. I mean, not to say that, you know, the whole pomp and circumstance of South Beach and the glitz and glamour, you know, not to say that that is in Miami, that is, but you know, there's a, a whole other side of the people, the real people, the heart and soul of what Miami Dolly, is. Dolly! <laughs> That's right, in the county of day. Oh yep. yeah, 305, baby. But yeah, very excited for them. We hope the show gets out there soon. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if they're going to actually shoot it highly. I'm assuming they are. So I, that would be great to, to kind of track that project. And, you know, maybe we can get, uh, maybe we can get Monique on the show soon to talk. Yeah. About. Let's reach out so to we'll, them. Let's reach we're out. We're definitely going to reach out. And if you guys are listening, you know, we'd love to have you on the show. Yes, yes, yes. And um, listening, listening listeners. Thank you so much. We are moving, 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 moving towards that pinnacle of 50 episode 50. We're getting close. Getting there. Nine away now, I think, right? <laughs> Oof. Yeah, well, almost Feel there. It. So thank you all for listening. I'm Kevin Sharpley. I'm Jail Martinez. And we will see you, hear you soon. Happy streaming. Dale.